0: hesitant to do it, but Linda, I volunteer to help teach code to these girls in the summer. Um, that is, uh, I don't have time this morning, and um, but I will be uh, preaching from a very familiar Christmas passage. You know it because I preached on it last week, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger.' And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Here's what we're celebrating this Christmas season. We're celebrating the fact that 2,000 years ago, we as a species were utterly lost. We deserved judgment. We deserved death. We deserved hell. We had failed God in every way we could fail him. We had had slaughtered each other with war after insane war and still have been doing it 2,000 years since. People have abused each other in every way they can, stolen from each other, lied to each other, murdered each other, mistreated each other in every way. We have befouled this earth relationally, spiritually, physically, in every way we've messed this place up. We have turned from the Creator and in His place we have worshipped every kind of idol, often looking in the mirror while we do it. We have in our arrogance and pride insisted on life on our own terms instead of his. And so the Bible tells us God finally got tired of it. He had had enough. One night he came in person to this planet to fix this mess, our mess. And I'm going to put it bluntly. But the great surprise that happened at Christmas 2,000 years ago is that God came in our midst and we are still here that he did not wipe us off the face of the planet, that he did not send us to the hell we so richly deserved. Now, I know talking about hell is not popular these days. Humans assume they are basically good, not basically bad, and hell is just God's overreaction. They assume God is love and all that judgment stuff is old-fashioned and intolerant. Even Christians find the doctrine of hell to be awkward and embarrassing and something we just might as well not bring up at all. But my friends, salvation means nothing unless we fully recognize what we are saved from. And the fact is, we have been saved from ourselves, from our stupidity, from our sins, from our lostness. The fact is, we have been saved from eternal death and night. The fact is, we have been saved from hell, the hell of our own making. And I don't know why people, especially Christians, find hell in the next world so hard to fathom when there's so much hell in this one. Every time I look at the Middle East, I see hell. Every time I look at Somalia, I see hell. Every time I see a homeless addict lying in a gutter, I see hell. What makes us think that the consequences of what we've done, we've done in this life stops at the grave? Jesus came to save us from nothing less than hell. Jesus didn't just come to make us a little less neurotic or to hold our hands just when we're scared or afraid or lonely. My Bible says, For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Should not perish. We cannot mess around with God. And Jesus came to show us we cannot mess around with God. I remember when I went to New York City years ago to visit an African-American church in the Bronx who had converted a high school into a church. This fascinated me. What church on earth would take one kind of building and turn it into a church? Who does that? In that high school, they had a drug and rehab center. He was a gang member. He had shot people. He had stabbed people. When I looked at him, I realized he was a failure of the justice system. He should have been in jail, and they should have thrown away the key. He had used every kind of drug, uh, sold every kind of drug. He was a heroin addict. And this young man had always assumed, and rightly so, that he was a dead man walking. He knew someone was going to kill him one night. That was just not a, you know, an option. Or he knew he'd kill himself on drugs. He knew death had his number and it would be dialed up soon. He lived with a sword over his head. And then to his utter amazement, Jesus found him. And Jesus saved him. And Jesus got him out of the gangs and into church, God's gang. And Jesus got him off of heroin and filled him with the Holy Spirit. Jesus saved his life, nothing less And I'll never forget the look on his face and the sound of stunned amazement in his voice as he praised God and kept saying in the most literal way, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was dead, but now I'm alive. He was stunned at what God had done for him. He was amazed. He didn't see this coming a million miles away. And the only logical response to it was that this man expressed joy. It was pure joy. And as I listened to that, I thought to myself, why don't I feel exactly the same way? Jesus saved me as much as he saved him. My sin sent him to the cross just like this guy's did. My friends, we have been saved from so much. Paul says, what happens if we ignore so great a salvation, if we diminish it, if we undermine it, if we, if we, if we don't value it properly? No wonder the angels said, I bring you good no- news of great joy. Indeed, hallelujah. Do you appreciate what your salvation cost? Do you appreciate what you've been saved from? Do you appreciate how lost you really were? Do you appreciate what God has done? When the angels beheld what God was doing, they came down. And they sang, they praised, they celebrated the mercy of God, the grace of God. They said, we bring you good news of great joy. Jesus Christ has come to this world, and thank God it will never be the same. Thank God we will never be the same. It's said that night that the glory of the Lord shone into the darkness. The Shekinah of glory of God made a dark night bright. And that's what the Apostle John said in his gospel. That the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness could not put it out. That means that what God started that night, nothing can stop. It means that no matter what evil does, what Satan does, what hell does, what governments do, what ISIS does, God has the final word. Grace has the final word. The Bible never minces words about this world. It is a dark, dark place we live in. And if we live long enough, evil will befall every one of us. Injustice of some sort or pain, betrayal, disease, death will come to all of us at some point. But the angel said rejoice anyway. The good news has come. The Messiah has come. Salvation and grace and love are yours no matter what. And nothing can separate you from the love that child brought 2,000 years ago. The light has shone in the darkness. The light still shines in the darkness. Hallelujah. It shines on us this morning. I bring you good news of great joy. Please don't mistake, by the way, happiness with joy. Happiness can be taken away from us. It happens all the time. Someone smashes into your car. You ain't happy. When they get three of them, you really ain't happy. Somebody lies to you. A friend betrays you. You ain't happy. Your wife says you're getting the gut. You ain't happy. <laughs> you know, going around these days, they're having these ugly sweater contests. Have you, uh, you know, at work and at churches? Even churches are. Do- and Lyle Myers was saying last night. He said that at one of the places of work in Harrisburg, they had an ugly sweater contest, and the woman who won it didn't know they were having an ugly sweater contest. <laughs> By the way, after the service, we will have one of those. I've already picked out several of you to come forward. Uh, (laughs) Settle down. (laughs) Happiness can be taken from us. Happiness cannot last. Everything that makes us happy has a shelf life. Your car, your house, your health, your body, your life... All are decaying even as we sit here. And happiness is based on those things. And by the way, there's nothing spiritual about being happy. Anybody can experience happiness. The most vile person on earth has moments of happiness. Hitler had days he was happy. Mussolini had days he was happy. But joy is different. Joy cannot be taken from us, even if they wreck your cars. From a merely human point of view, joy seems irrational. You know why it seems irrational? Because joy has no visible means of support. Joy comes from a source that is invisible. Joy comes directly from the heart of God into your heart. It depends in no way on circumstances. Joy can be operating in our hearts in prison cells. You may find yourself in a prison cell facing death the next day, and you may end up singing and dancing in that prison cell because joy came into that cell. You can have joy in a hospital bed. You can have joy in the darkest of nights. Nothing can conquer joy. Nothing can stop the Holy Spirit from pouring joy into you. Any Tom, Dick, and Harry can be happy, but only those connected to the Spirit know joy. Intellectually, joy is knowing is that my life is hidden in Christ and I am kept by His love and that there is nothing the Holy Spirit can't get me through. Hallelujah, that's what's in your head, but there's more in your heart. Experientially, joy is the Holy Spirit bringing the atmosphere of heaven directly into my heart. It bypasses our bodies and minds and circumstances and and is poured by the Holy Spirit into our innermost beings. Have you ever had irrational joy? Have you ever rejoiced in the Lord and there was no reason on the outside to rejoice in the Lord? That is the Spirit working. Joy is what radiates off the person of God. It is imperative that we keep the angel's agenda to hear the good news and rejoice. Because, see, joy, as C.S. Lewis says is the serious business of heaven. It is a command, a holy imperative. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice no matter what. Jesus did. Because you see, Jesus was hooked directly to his Father through the Spirit. And God is the most joyful person in the universe. God is full of joy. It radiates from his being. It's the core of who God is. You know what it says? God is love. But when you look at the list of of spirit fruit, it says the the fruit of the spirit is love and then joy. The second most important attribute of God that God tries to pour into us is his joy. Look at Jesus' life. His first miracle was to make wine at a wedding so people could have a good time. Of all the things he could have done, Jesus wanted to make people happy. He kept comparing himself to a bridegroom around who a party was swirling, which is why his disciples in this world were not to fast until he had left. You don't, you don't, you don't start fasting when the party's going on. And Jesus said, I'm here. I'm the party. And Jesus kept going to parties, by the way. In fact, he was called a drunkard and a glutton precisely because he went to so many parties and apparently had a good time. He described heaven as a feast, the biggest party going on in this universe. And one day we are going to have a really good one called the Marriage Feast of the Lamb. Jesus told jokes, which I'm assuming people laughed at back then. Although after 2,000 years, they just aren't fresh anymore. And the sour pusses of the day, the rigid Pharisees and legalists, hated Jesus for his joy. Jesus was considered unspiritual because he had too good a time. He was considered too frivolous by the religious because he had too much joy. Their cry was, stop it. Stop partying. Stop laughing. Stop singing. If it feels good, stop it. I have known Christians like that. I prayed for the Lord to take them to heaven so they'd know joy. It was for their good. (laughs) I bring you good news of great joy. G.K. Chesterton wrote There is one thing that was too great for God to show us when He walked on our earth. And I have sometimes fancied that it was His mirth, His joy. You see, Jesus was so consumed. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was so consumed with empathy and compassion for us that he never really got to show the world how joyful he was. The thing that saturates heaven was in his heart. In heaven, they live in an atmosphere of pure love, pure joy, pure peace. And the Holy Spirit comes so that we can taste what fully awaits us one day. Hallelujah. Joy comes from living and walking and being filled with the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit, a byproduct of life in the Spirit. This joy is not a byproduct of positive thinking or high self-esteem or working ourselves up into some kind of religious frenzy. It can only be received, not created on our part, because the source of real biblical joy is not from this world. It's not from self-effort. So how do we tap into this joy? Like I said, the way you tap into spirit joy is you walk in the spirit. You're filled with the spirit. You tap into what God has already placed in you. But if you need a concrete thing to do to experience the joy of the Lord, let me recommend this. The quickest way to tap into joy is by rejoicing. As I said before, we cannot create joy, but we can prepare our hearts for joy. We can remind ourselves of the Spirit worshiping Christ in us and through us, enjoying that Spirit, and it brings joy. We can open our hearts to the joy of God coming from the throne of God. You know, one writer put it this way. Rejoice. And he said this about rejoicing. It's hard to be thankful, deeply thankful, and keep your mouth shut. The feasts of the Old Testament were loud affairs. C.S. Lewis in his book on reading the Psalms notes this about the Psalms of thanksgiving. To speak our thanks out loud is not so much an expression of our gratitude as a completion of it. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, Lewis writes, because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Admiration that goes unspoken. Thanksgiving that remains mute. Celebration that's hidden in the heart. The silence quenches the joy. Unspoken praise is no praise at all. It is praise stillborn. It is Lazarus raised from the dead but left in the tomb, swaddled in grave clothes. There's something wrong when we cannot say I love you out loud to somebody we love, don't you think? Or there's something wrong when we're grateful, but we can never say it to the person we're grateful to out loud, don't you think? There's something wrong when we are amazed, but we keep it stifled inside. Every now and then you have to rejoice. You know, I've had people in church tell me, look, I really felt like Praising God out loud, I felt the spirit. And I, but you'll be glad to know, I managed to stifle it down. I'm not glad you managed to stifle it down. I think everybody, at least one time in their life, ought to say praise Jesus in a worship service out loud. Everybody, rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice in your bank account. It doesn't say rejoice in your health. It doesn't say rejoice in your job or your spouse or your kids. Rejoice in the Lord because all those things I just mentioned, they are not your source. The Spirit is your source. Jesus is your Savior because He is the source of all joy. You rejoice in your source, in Him. You can be grateful for all these other things. You can thank God for your wife and your husband and your kids. You can thank God for all of those things. But your wife and your husband and your kids and your job and your bank, they do not give you joy. Rejoice yes, in the Lord. Because the Spirit is in you anywhere the and everywhere. Life in the Spirit and the joy He brings does not depend on what's happening in the world, good or bad, happy or sad. Mark Buchanan talked about, he had a friend, Carol. She was, he and his wife's best friend. She even worked for them on staff. And Carol got cancer, and it was terminal, and she was dying. He said the drugs she was on puffed her up like dough and made her in tipsy and as groggy as a drunk. She would blurt out strange utterances like she had Tourette's syndrome. Her cascades of blonde hair fell out and regrew in bristly tufts poking up here and there on her waxy scalp. Her right eye, damaged by surgeries, drooped permanently. She was unrecognizable from her former self. When we escorted people who had last seen her well into the hospice room, it was with the warning that her appearance had shockingly altered. It was one more indignity death had heaped upon its stockpile for Carol. But at the end, Carol's beauty returned, Buchanan said. She had, was just as bruised and bloated and bald as ever. But a light came on inside of Carol, and all the ruination in the world couldn't hide it. It got through the cracks in the rubble of her appearance. There was something coming out of her into that room. He said, the last time I saw her alive was in a hospice room. Cheryl and I had been called to come quickly because Carol was dying. Within Within hours, we were told, we rushed to her side along with a few others. She was comatose, her breathing heavy and ragged. We spoke to her, prayed over her, and then we sang. We sang a cappella, clumsily, all her favorite worship songs. We sang for ourselves as, as much as anything. We sang in the hope that the words and the melodies we loved would sometime go, somehow penetrate the coma and go right into her heart. And as we sang, suddenly Carol woke up right out of the coma. Not sit bolt upright and just fine up. But her eyes opened and her lips began to move and words formed on them and sounds came from them. Carol was singing with us. And we sang and sang and she sang and sang with us in that bed. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And in all my knowing her, despite her physical disfigurement, Carol was never more beautiful than at that moment. They worshiped and joy filled the room. I have seen this and felt this more than once in 42 years as a pastor. I have been in a room, i had the incredible privilege as a pastor to be in a hospital room or in a hospice room when Jesus comes to take somebody home. I tell you, if you haven't had that privilege, you're missing something. I've been there when the Holy Spirit wraps His arms around that person in order to carry that person out of that room. I remember Pastor Cedro when it... I just missed Tony Britton's death. And I walked in that room, and I've got to tell you, my spirit worshiped when I walked in that room. The Holy Spirit was in that room. God's joy was in that room. And I felt like crying, not because of sadness, but because of the joy. And it wasn't just the joy that I knew Tony was in heaven. And it wasn't just the joy that that all things work to the good of those that love God. It was that heaven had come into that room, and I felt it. There is nothing like when heaven comes to earth. Hallelujah. And the surest sign it has come to earth is that it is joyful. The one true test of authentic heaven-sent joy is that nothing stops it. Joy in this world is always joy in spite of something. Despite something. Karl Barth says rejoicing is a defiant nevertheless against reality and evil and fallenness in this world. It is a defiant, nevertheless, against pain and disease. When you can praise God, when you can experience the joy, when you can rejoice, he just shakes your fist at the devil and says, Oh, I I love the fact that rejoicing is the ultimate act of defiance in a fallen world. You know why? Because it says that God is greater than the pain I'm in. It says that God is greater than the evil all around me. It says that God is greater than the circumstances that weigh me down. That God is greater than the cancer in my body. That God is greater than the arthritis eating away at me. That God is greater than the idiot boss I work for every day. That God is greater than my difficult marriage. That God is greater than the lack of money I have. I love what Habakkuk said when he said, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to go to the heights. When we praise and rejoice, it says that God is my source, even in bad economic times, even when there's an ISIS out there. The light has come to the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Receive heaven's joy in the middle of the darkness. That is the story of Jesus Christ. So this morning, let us rejoice and open our hearts to the joy the angels proclaimed 2,000 years ago. Let us rejoice in the Lord. Because if we do not rejoice today, we will never rejoice at all. If we wait until things get perfect, we will be waiting till our deathbed. This is the day the Lord has made. I will what? Rejoice and be glad in this day. This is the only day you have to praise Jesus. And when we rejoice, we may find heaven. Pours its joy into our rejoicing, Hallelujah! Isn't that what the psalmist said? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is what makes me unconquerable. This is what Jesus brought us two thousand years ago. This is what the angels sang about. The world has been overcome, brothers and sisters. The fangs have been pulled from the serpent's jaw. The light is here, and the darkness could not put it out, and will never be able to put it out. And the reason we know is because of a baby who brought us unconquerable joy. Behold the joy that overcomes the world and causes people to sing even in prison cells and hospital beds. Behold the joy that causes people to sing even when all hell is breaking loose around them. Behold the joy that made Stephen, even as they were beating him to death with rocks, look up to heaven and see Jesus Christ bless his enemies and worship. Behold the joy that that has accompanied so many martyrs over and over again. When real joy comes, you don't carry it. It carries you. It carries you. Because you are experiencing the essence of another world. Behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. You know? Hallelujah. Now, I did this in the first service and didn't even plan it, but we're going to do it, we're going to take at least five, seven minutes. And I would like anybody who wants to to stand up And in a loud voice, share what you're rejoicing about today. Share what you're rejoicing about today. I tell you what, it got good in the first service. People started rejoicing and suddenly, oh my goodness. All right? So uh, we're just going to go. All right? You okay with that? Not scaring anybody? Here we go. (laughs) Yvette, go. Amen. 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 This is Joe and Yvette Jones. They are serving as missionaries at a school in Pakistan. We're going to pray for them before they leave. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. Joel. How dare I sit down without him? Yeah. Amen. 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 It, you know, amen. Amen. Yes, Alden. I rejoice because God never gave up on me. Amen. Never. I never gave up on, the, up on myself, okay. but He never gave up on me. By the way, praise. That, that's true for all of us. Yes, over here, Mary. Amen. Absolutely. God is with your family. Absolutely. Yes, Becky Kasparic. Yes. Yes. Amen. Pray and praise. Without yes, I, I, uh, yeah. Claire, they said she had type one diabetes, and the church prayed for her. And then they tested her again, and they said there's nothing there. Like called diabetes. And uh, oh, and there's someone else here. You uh, let me see. Who is this? Oh, oh, she's in a pink sweater right here. I think her name is Pastor Linda Gebhardt. You might. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Amen. 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 We are so glad to see you. Sherry. That's right. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Philip. That's right. And we praise the Lord. They did not steal your bike and all that stuff you had on it. Yes. Amen. Even though nature is fallen, it is still good, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Bianca. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ed. Praise the Lord. Sister Teresa. Praise the Lord. We missed you. Teresa was taking care of her ill sisters in North Carolina for the better part of a year, and I don't know about you, but I missed her. Welcome back. Praise the Lord. Charlotte. Amen. 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 Kara. Amen. Everett, Jesus loves us all. Rashida. Amen. And not, well, I praise God. the Lord. Praise. You have a lot of fe- reasons to be bitter, and you are not, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Dan in the back. Amen. Yes, yes. His numbers. He, with his numbers, he should have gone into a diabetic coma, but he's not. And praise God, you're here. Yes, Judah. Amen. Amen. Jake. Amen. And seems like a different, different and yes.